Good day, mate. 40 here. Looking back to Manly. Getting ready to take the Manly Ferry over to Circular Quay and Sydney Opera House. Just watching, listening, reading Substack here by Richard Hananya. Man needs sex and violence, not top down meaning. Elites are miserable, normies are fine. In the 1990s, are a respite from intellectuals. Yeah, pretty good uh, Substack post here from Richard Hananya. So, as an example of intellectual hysteria, this is Athenian Stranger talking to Alex Gashuta. Get too nerdy about it, but <laughs> but that's the point. Is that yeah. this, this goes back a long way. Uh, there, there have been there have been a number of separate foundings of America. There wasn't just one set of founders. There was the initial founding. Then there were refoundings. You know, certainly. Wow. So just as individuals, we make up you know our lives constantly. We make over our lives constantly. Like today is the first day of the rest of our lives. Right? So too with countries and communities and religions. Who would have thought? Civil War was a refounding. Certainly, LBJ with his New Society was a refounding. Certainly, FDR with his New Deal was a refounding. And I get into sort of—I've had to learn from some of my friends about this. I—I I, I was very emphatic that Obama was another founding, basically a fourth founding of the country. But some of the some of my friends made a very persuasive case that was really George W. Bush, I think. And it turns out he wasn't the nice guy that everyone thinks he was. Uh, and I think there's a lot of truth to that because uh, he did some really insane things, but I don't know, I mean, sort of like... Yeah, just uh, unnecessary invasions of Iraq and Afghanistan, costing us $7 trillion, and costing Iraqis hundreds of thousands of lives, but aside from that, real nice guy. Sort of like, you know, which person do you dislike more, Bush or, or Obama? It's really hard to say. I guess you sort of have to take the two of them together because they destroyed the country. They destroyed the country so thoroughly, uh, to the point where we're sort of living in Barack Obama's fourth term. No, I'm sort of rambling. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's all good. It's expected on, on the podcast. Um, I, they do seem now just obviously... Yeah, can these long-form alt-right podcasts really save civilization? Obviously, in hindsight, to be very much creatures of the same era. They're almost... Maybe it's, you know, history becoming a bit blurry <laughs> in hindsight, but it's just... They, they've, they seem like, you know, they could be best buddies looking back from, from our vantage point at the moment. Um, and... You know, I think I think the point you make is, is extremely good about the, the the founding, and essentially the, the founding is a, is just the the um, solidification of um, ideas that disappear uh, and are taken as um, as common knowledge or as, as common sense once they are absorbed into into the body politic and into into people's minds. And I feel like that's you know I think um, at Extranet JCB uh, credit for, the, for this. It's uh, you know politics is uh, is just religion that people actually believe in. And it is. I mean, that's... that's... Yeah, guess what? Everyone has a hero system. And there may well be political elements to their hero system and uh, religious elements and cultural elements and psychological elements and status elements and elements from the economy, right? We all have a hero system. And uh, we're not even usually sure where we got it from. We don't even see it. We just take it for granted. But, you know, you've got a hero system whenever you hold something to be sacred, all right, whenever you can't laugh about something. All right, so I get upset when it comes to, um, you know, high rates of crime, you know, the, the devastation and terrorism wrought by Black Lives Matter. I, you know, I'm a, I, I regard human life as sacred. 
and uh, I lose my objectivity and my coolness, right? When it comes to you know, massive increases in violence, they're brought about by activist groups and the cooperation of our elites, whether they're in government or in media, academia, NGOs, right? We, we, we trashed our police forces. We incentivized our police forces to stop enforcing the law. And as a result, we got a massive increase in driver deaths, pedestrian deaths, massive increase in crimes of violence, murder, you know, all sorts of higher crime rates resulting in the deaths of thousands of extra Americans, right? That I don't uh, treat lightly. I'm unable to see the humor in that, right? Since uh, the summer of George Floyd, we've had you know, massively increasing crime rates and uh, don't really see the humor. So that, uh, that uh, massive increase in crime, all right, that, that violates my hero system. That's the, the caliber of these ideas, you know, assumptions about equality, assumptions about, um, you know, race relations, female and male. I mean, the very fundamental day-to-day -day things have been completely upended, um, where ideas that your grandmother held were essentially tied to Hitler now, you know. Yeah, and uh, what well, people are incapable of deciding these things for themselves. Right? People don't have agency. People just evolve to be gullible. You just really want to promote the zombie bite theory of information that if you know some crazy blue-haired left-wing woke activist public school teacher tells your kids something that they'll just automatically believe it and act it out over the rest of their lives and if they watch netflix and netflix will start programming their brain and uh, your, your kid just has you know, no alternative but to accept what uh, netflix says all those powerful cutting-edge netflix ideas are just gonna really just gonna take over his brain so he's in helpless. Just saying that, it's just like, oh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a crime stop, wrong thing. Hitler, your grandma was Hitler, don't think about it. Everything that, you know, started from, this, you know, from the new founding onwards, that's the only thing that matters. And, um, it's, you know, the, the, the... Yeah, and people can't do anything about that. Right? They, have, they have no choice. They're just gullible. They're just going to, you know, buy any old nonsense that uh, someone in power tells them. But, you know, someone waves a dollar in their face or someone in authority, someone in elite status instructs them or if there's a message imbued in a TV show or a movie, then uh, they can't help but to obey that message, really. That's, that's not how I see humanity. The profound uh, adoption of all this stuff is, is quite shocking. And I don't think it would have happened without, without the wonderful world of media. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that, that's, I mean there's, there's no doubt about that. Oh, that is, that is this, uh, this brilliant uh, fellow, Athenian stranger, right? Reactionary classicism here on Alex Kishuta's podcast. He says, oh yeah, for sure, there's absolutely no doubt about what you're just saying. Right? There's just absolutely no doubt that the zombie bite theory of information is true. <laughs> Let's go! That's a pretty healthy lifestyle. All those people in the canoes, they look like they're over 50. And they're out canoeing the Manly Beach. That'll keep you fit. Uh, one thing I would just sort of add uh, briefly there is that, um, you know, politics being religion that, that people actually believe, um, I think there's even more that can be said about that because that's a, that's a good 
statement of where things are. Uh, we presently live in an age of nihilism, and we just simply do. Most people, uh, to the extent that they'll even say that they believe in, you know, religion or God, you ask them things like, well, you know, do you go to church? And they'll almost always say no, and they've sort of made it their own religion. Yeah, whether or not people go to church, they have a hero system, right? Whether or not people consider themselves religious, they have a hero system. And whether or not people read the Bible, they have a hero system. Whether or not people read the New York Times, they have a hero system. A hero system is a biological necessity. Is some transcendent source of meaning. It's, we usually take it unthinkingly from our community, and unless we're one of those exceptional characters who's you know creating exceptional art that we you know, may have reason to believe will last you know down through eternity, we get our sense of eternity. We get our sense of transcendence, right, from being part of a community that we believe is going to outlast us. This is going to go down in history and is awesome and uh, plays a special role in the universe, right? That's where we get our ability to stave off insignificance through subscribing to a hero system. And so I'm in Australia. We have an Australian hero system, and we have Australia Day coming up on January 26th. Right? We're going to celebrate Australia, mate. Religion, right? They say things, at least in America, you'll have Christians saying, well, you know, I don't need a church to mediate between me and God, you know, I, I'm, I, I, just anything and everything to sort of change the meaning of what religion is, uh, because... All right, we've got the first secular societies in history in Europe. Right? Protestant societies tend to secularize quicker because Protestantism is a religion of the heart, of faith, and uh, that's easier to go away than the more total religions of Catholicism and, and Judaism. So, Protestantism is a religion of faith and theology and belief and assent and something, you know, internal. Uh, Catholicism, Judaism, much more things that you do. It's a community, it's a, it's a way of life, it's much more total. And so it's a lot harder for, for Catholic societies to secularize compared to Protestant societies. But still, even in Protestant secular societies, right, where Protestantism is overwhelmingly gone away, people still have a hero system. Right? People still believe they are part of something that transcends them and will outlast them and will go on down through history. For all practical intents and purposes, they're no longer believers in the same way that even their own parents were. And so what happens when you have uh, circumstances in which most people don't really know what to believe anymore, right? Because science has been, at least it was, yeah, so more and more of life is explained by natural causes, by science. Uh, more and more life is you know, rendered efficient by neoliberalism. So life is increasingly robbed of the magical and the enchanted. And yet, we still cling to a hero system. That cannot be taken away because it's a biological necessity to believe that you're part of something that will transcend you and go on. Was so powerful until Dr. Fauci came along. But... Uh, Dr. Fauci simply articulated the mainstream position in science in the areas he was talking about 95% of the time. 95% of the time, he was simply aligned with what at the time was the mainstream perspective in science. But what happens is that you're never going to stifle that about the human heart, the human soul. There is always going to be, it's simply within the nature of human beings to, to desire something that transcends themselves. 
Yeah, it's called a hero system, and everyone has one. And when you throw God out of the equation, uh, the most obvious immediate candidate to replace that, because it means you're going to have that hole there, and it's gonna, you're, you're, you're going to try to fill it with something no matter what. And the immediate candidate to fill it with is politics. Because... Mm. The immediate candidate to fill it is your community. We get our cues from our community. We get our hero system from our community. And uh, there'll probably be a political element, but we get our hero system, it's just handed down to us by the world around us. The community around us gives us, gives us meaning. It tells us what is marriage, you know, is, is military a heterosexual institution? Right? The hero system is usually just something we imbibe without consciously choosing it. But we're usually lucky enough to belong to a community or a nation that we have reason to believe will go on past the end of our lives. And so we connect to that community that goes down in history. And therefore, we are heroic because we are part of a community that does heroic things. Hey, it's the American century yet again. And I'm part of the American century. Australia is the greatest country in the world, mate. I'm part of Australia. Jews. We're God's chosen people. I'm part of the Jews. Because what does politics do? Well, it gives you the opportunity to affect change in the world, to make the world better for, at least according to you, to make the world better for other people, right? So that becomes literally your religion, right? I mean, the same way that people used to have the kind of faith in their God to be able to uh, know that they were living a good life. Now they turn... Yeah, this guy would benefit from reading Ernest Becker, The Fear of Death. Learn about hero systems. Much more precise way of speaking. Parents of politics, because they think that that is what living the good life is, and that really sort of speaks to all of this, uh, the insanity of the virtue signaling, right? People, I mean, there's honest to God that... There's nothing insane about virtue signaling, but signaling is important. Animals signal, right? Animals signal that they're dangerous. They hop up and down to show how much energy they've got. You know, they, they puff themselves out. They display themselves to attract a mate. Right? Signaling is an inherent part of being alive. Animals do it. Human beings do it. Why would we not signal that we're virtuous people, that we're not good people? Right? Virtue signaling is virtuous. Virtue signaling is a good thing. It means that you, you know, signal to other people that you're a good, decent bloke. Right? This, this unthought-through warmed over caricature of an alt-right perspective is really pathetic. I mean, you'd think this guy would come up with a new idea. He's been rambling here for well over an hour with Alex Kashuda and has yet to say anything sharp or smart or new or unexpected. God, there's literally no reason to have a mask in your profile on Twitter because you're not going to catch any, any disease, literally. You're not uh, we put things on Twitter, on social media, or on display as we go about to signal that who we are, who we affiliate with, right? We may wear a shirt to show, you know, which soccer club we support. We may wear a yarmulke to signal that we're Orthodox Jew and we fear God. Right? You put a mask in your social media profile to signal that you follow public health advice and that you're taking a deadly pandemic seriously and you are not going to trivially pass on a deadly disease and be responsible for the deaths of innocent people. Right? That sounds to me like a virtuous thing to signal about. 
What kind of person has a problem with someone who is signaling that they take human life seriously and that they are going to take the recommended steps to minimize the transmittal of a deadly disease? They're not going to catch any disease through the interface of your laptop, right? I mean, that's not going to happen. Yeah, you're signaling something. All right? Animals signal, people signal. Why would people not want to signal that they care about the lives of other people? Uh, it's there because you want to make a statement to signal something, right? To signal, hey, I'm a good person, look what I'm doing. And this guy, he is so shallow, he just takes it for granted that someone who is signaling that uh, they want to be a good person, that they want to be virtuous, that they want to follow public health advice, that that person's a loser and shallow and unthought through, when really the guy making the critique is the shallow one. Animals signal, they're not in the realm of religion or faith. Like living things signal, including human beings. Right? It's not something that's limited to religious faith or religion. We're doing was good because it was between you and God. And now what we have is people doing, making political statements because those political statements are for all practical intents and purposes their religion. It's certainly a deluded and deluded understanding of anything that we would like to see. You know who's deluded here? It's you, the speaker. What kind of person doesn't think that uh, life is sacred and holy? Uh, when you put a mask on your social media profile, you are signaling that you take life seriously and that you're following public health advice and that you do not want to easily or carelessly pass on a deadly disease. All right. So if masks are effective against COVID and uh, you know we're, we're mandated to say so on uh, social media if we're going to opine on the issue, then if that's where the evidence is, then by wearing a mask, you are reducing transmission of a deadly disease and playing your part in being a good social citizen and saving lives. One of these things where it's like, you know, those hilarious one-liners where it's like, you know, I never thought I'd be saying this, but, uh, you know, and here we are, right? And so yeah, sort of here we are, right? We got people with their bios on Twitter that have like the little needle emoji, the mask emoji, the black fist emoji, the rainbow emoji. It's like, okay, so that's, that's, that's the kind of person I'm dealing with. Yeah, so people want to signal that they follow what is virtuous, what their peer group considers virtuous, what their community considers virtuous, what their social betters consider virtuous. That's an adaptive thing. Animal signal, people signal. It's an adaptive thing. It usually, people do it because it works. nothing to do with nihilism, right? There's nothing nihilistic about virtue signaling. Are animals being nihilistic when they send signals, right? Women send signals when they want you to approach them. Women send signals when they want you to kiss them, right? Is that nihilistic? I believe in love. Somehow Alex Kashuda survived watching this 
movie, right? She's okay, and I suspect pretty much everyone else who watches this movie, however depraved or depressing or you know left wing or woke this movie is, I suspect most people will be okay after they they watch this. I suspect that uh, that uh, life will go on for them. Is Richard Ananya? Man needs sex and violence, not top-down meaning. A very provocative essay, like usual, from Richard Ananya. So he likes to troll. So he says, "I'm extremely happy about how things have turned out. I never felt more alive than I did as a teenager and young adult. Till I was around 16 or so, I would get into fistfights. Right? So yeah, fighting often helps provide meaning, and you don't have to just fight." Physically, I would fight with words. Men like to compete. So I grew up a Seventh-day Adventist. They did everything they could to try to discourage fighting, to discourage competing. But I love to compete. It's uh, it's part of having high levels of testosterone. So yeah, competition makes people feel alive, particularly men. So Richard and Nanya would regularly get into fistfights. I avoid it because fistfights can escalate and they can do permanent damage. Just not worth it. So, Richard says, Today I have a fulfilling personal life. I have a successful career. I still find myself trying to recapture some of the excitement I felt while growing up. I do this in part by trolling. Or I just express my opinions honestly, which often amounts to the same thing. So getting people mad my views on euthanasia or the impact of women on academia adds a thrill to my life, right? It's uh, mostly satisfying, but I still lack the excitement I felt as a teenager. So I suspect Richard Hanani is not married with kids. If he was married with kids, he'd have all the excitement that he needs. So these thrill-seekers right, need to settle down and have kids. Okay, so he wants a life full of the realistic possibility of violence. Okay, that's stupid. Right? You don't really want a life full of the realistic possibility of violence. You want an exciting life, which most people your age would get through being married and having kids. And uh, you want a sex with new people, not marriage. Okay, that's exciting, but uh, it's going to be increasingly difficult as you age. And then uh, some orientations, it's a lot easier to, to get laid than uh, other orientations. But uh, after the first few decades, you know, casual sex is going to pull me. Loses its excitement. I rely on Twitter followers for rides to and from the airport. One of them recently suggested I take up jujitsu. Thought about all this reading Ross Douthat's recent article, Hootie and the Blowfish and the End of History. It's not joy at the end of humanity, writes Douthat exactly, that defines the Hootie DMB counting crows aesthetic, but maybe it's what you might call a sense that ordinary life suffices. It's a key stabilizing sentiment that you can have a rich human experience full of joys and sorrows without the extreme pre-modern or 20th century stuff. War and God and utopia and all the rest. Without racial division too, the multiracial 
make up the Dave Matthews band and Hootie and the Blowfish is important. That you can be a fulfilled human being just through the highs and lows of normal seeming suburban American life, the tropes of early adult male heterosexual experience like the yearning to be famous or the awesome girl who lets you down or hanging out with your friends and feeling a bit sorry for yourself, all sufficient as grist with the strong feelings that make up an interesting life that when you, these feelings get you down, you can be depressed in a way that's personal rather than existential. That's just about you, other than about everything that's wrong with your life under late capitalism. So Richard Anani says, yeah, this speaks to me. Might have added that in the 1980s and 90s, a common trope to movies, film would be a young boy getting beaten up by a bully. And the point was he was supposed to learn how to fight back. Even if he didn't win, he'd respect himself and others would respect him for overcoming his fear. And uh, Richard says, I think a good cultural script is sex and violence when you're young and then marriage and children when older. Yeah, that is a, uh, it's a pretty good script. For most people, not much has changed since the 1990s. For most people, ordinary life is enough. Now, it's not enough for Alex Kashuta and uh, this Athenian bloke on, on the podcast. But for most people, yeah, ordinary life is enough despite what you've heard. From woke lunatics or new right types, Americans are not drowning in existential despair. There's barely any change in people's happiness levels from the 1990s. So for all the political and social development since the 1950s, you don't have much of a change in happiness levels. Not until masks and lockdowns, yeah, that, that reduced people's happiness levels. But for most people, ordinary life isn't enough. So there's not much that elites can do to take away people's happiness unless they shut down ordinary life. So normal people are resilient and uh, mental health indicators are rebounding as pandemic restrictions are relaxed. Now, of course, individuals and societies still have problems, still have deaths of despair and deaths of exuberance killing a lot of people. We have an increased availability of pain medication which can be abused, opiates feel great, some people can't control themselves. Uh, social media has not been great for young girls, but overall there is little to justify the doom and gloom that has become a staple of American art and intellectual life over the last two decades, including much of the content of Alex Kashuda's podcast. Even the recent rates of depression among teens and young adults appear to be overblown. Things don't really look so bad. So why are our intellectuals talking in such a negative way? Why are intellectuals so invested in trying to tell us how to live our lives? You know, what's wrong with us? How we need their, their top-down meaning? We need their top-down solutions? Right, life is pretty good. It's not really empirical evidence that life sucks for most people. That there hasn't been much change in how happy Americans are we do see decline in trust in institutions. We see more negativity about government, right? more, more distrust right? of the, the power centers. Right? Why does this have to be a crisis in and of itself? Right? Politics really doesn't play that big of a role in most Americans' lives. We're not heading into civil war. If you feel incredibly distressed, it's probably not because of the reality of America or of Australia. 
So why are intellectuals so miserable? Why is there so much negativity about American life and institutions? So it's got a quote here from Matthew Iglesias about founding Vox. Most of the media trends they deplore are direct consequences of Facebook's influence over journalism in the mid-2010s. Had a huge shift in media sensibility. Hardcore identity politics, simplistic socialism, performed incredibly well on Facebook and on social media. So that got incentivized. So it doesn't mean the journalists started pretending to be so left-wing to get clicks. But people found that writing on certain topics all right, got the most traffic and early career journalists with authentic left-wing views were outperforming their colleagues, so you ended up with this whole cohort of uh, discourse structured around, is Bernie Sanders perfect in every way, or is it problematic to vote for a white man? That was the only possible lens for examining American politics and society. So, the news media has a downstream effect on the rest of culture, but it mainly has an effect on people in the industry. Right. People understand that the news isn't real. Right. People didn't depend on uh, Donald Trump to inform them that, that the news wasn't reality. And people were able to figure it out for themselves. Ah, uh, you beauty. See, ordinary life is enough. Just see Sydney Opera House set off against the sunset. So you roll into the circular key. So Australia is an incredibly secular country. Still the lucky country. Now there are some people who really do seem to need religion in their life, people like me. But other people seem to be getting along just fine. So the news media has taken a tremendous negative turn but it's having a much bigger impact on intellectuals than on society as a whole. Most people pay relatively little attention to the world of ideas. So our elites are highly pessimistic. Americans, they're pretty happy. The elites want to propose all sorts of top-down solutions for Americans' misery, but Americans don't need their top-down solutions. Right, our institutions have definitely become more feminine. So that's changing the kind of man who can succeed in our institutions. Right, Norman Mailer, the novelist, would routinely get into fistfights. Right, that's not going to work today. Once he got into a fistfight when a young man told him his dog looked gay. So now we have more sanitized workplaces. Sexual harassment laws become less about equality between men and women per se, instead focusing on seeing sex as a demonic force has to be purged from working life. So now we need the kind of man who can check his heterosexuality at the door. It's probably going to be physiologically different from the one who can't. And HR has its strongest foothold in more established institutions. They're increasing female representation along with civil rights law means we're not only getting more women, we're also getting more feminized men. So these type of individuals will tend to be higher on neuroticism, which will shape how they perceive and interpret the world. 
So the 1990s is a unique moment in history in that a lot of ideas bad for both mental health and social functioning were clearly discredited, such as communism and egalitarianism. It's also pretty clear that liberals are consistently less happy than conservatives. So we have higher rates of depression in young people alongside the great awakening of the past 10 years. So it's not like intellectuals in the 1990s became inspired by the magic of free markets, the way their predecessors had fallen in love with central planning, but they were humbled and had less of a prominent role to play in shaping narratives around American life. So in the 1990s, you had the demoralization of socialists and communists of blank slaters that allowed more space for ideas that had been considered heretical before now regain status. So this is the year of the bell curve, getting a positive review in the New York Times, along with J. Philippe Rushton. Now, to move away from this optimism, all that was needed was the passage of time. So in the 1990s, we managed to crush crime rates by putting bad people in prison for a long time. So do individuals need religion? Does society need religion? We've got left-wing institutions to become woke. Conservatives agree with the left-wing premise that there is something terribly wrong with modern society. They point to different causes. So the masses need something deeper and more important than what they have. That's what both uh, conservatives and lefties say. Charles Murray recently declared that religion is indispensable for moral society. Now, I don't think uh, Charles Murray is actually a religious believer. But in the long tradition of secular conservatism, Charles Murray thinks that religion is a social good, regardless of any particular faith, and whether it is true. So do individuals need religion to live happy, fulfilling lives? Does society need religion to function well? And uh, Richard Ananya concludes, no. Looks at the statistics, looks at measures of religiosity and life satisfaction, and uh, finds a pretty weak relationship. <laughs>